July 3rd, 1952. The Constitution of Puerto Rico is approved by the U.S. Congress, which, after a slight amendment, ensures that the U.S. will take the utmost care in protecting Puerto Rico's most expensive resort locations. Welcome to The Revisionists. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And joining us for the first time, please welcome Cody Derricks, everyone. Hi, welcome. It's me, Cody Derricks. <laughs> oh, the reveal. I'm, I'm, <laughs> that, right, the curtain has lifted. It's me the whole time. <laughs> we see the machinery now. <laughs> Cody, thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing me to do the first podcast ever that's not talking about talkies. I'm usually just a movie guy. We're going to talk about something that's not a movie. Very, very interesting for me. (laughs) Talking about talkies is a very good. I like to think of every episode of this podcast that already doesn't have a movie made about it as a potential movie that could exist in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. this is all this is all a pitch that I'm putting together, and I'm going to move to Hollywood and be ruined, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> ruined. If you are new to this podcast, uh, the basic premise, of course, is that uh, we are a comedy history podcast. Uh, essentially, what happens here every other week is that Brian and I uh, invite a guest on and uh, tell you the true facts about a person or event from history. Um, And then uh, we uh, enlighten you to uh, possibly the even more true facts, the the facts that the Illuminati has hid deep, deep, deep in the uh, vaults of the earth, um, no matter how batshit insane uh, those details may be. And we, uh, at the end of the episode, decide, um, with the help of you, the listener, and your votes, what becomes the true history of this brilliant blue iridescent spinning marble we call the earth going forward um and at present go ahead sorry addendum i feel compelled to add after the last you know year and a half uh we came up with this idea before QAnon was a thing oh sure yeah we started this podcast (laughs) when um barack obama was president of the united states yeah and I mean, when ultimate so, history was yeah, fun. And oh, yeah, when people spooky-ooky. weren't just making shit up willy, <laughs> willy-nilly, I guess. Exactly, yeah. And now it's like Newsmax kind of stole our, our, our gig, and then, then they did it in, in a much less fun way. Yeah, um, much less fun, I think, is the, uh, the takeaway from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Not a barrel of monkeys, said of the attempted coup. Yeah, it's truly an Ouroboros situation where now, like, we're at a point in history where they are trying to explicitly be like, the actual alternate history is critical race theory. And it's it's much less, much less <laughs> yeah. enjoyable. Um, yeah. Yeah. As a preconception. But uh, you have already anyway. mentioned the Illuminati once. So you got, uh, I'm sure, something in common with them. You know, it's we're all just one. One big old human race here. Always <laughs> tying back to the Illuminati. Honestly, uh, the if someone brings up the Illuminati now, it almost seems a little quaint to me, in a way. Darling, yeah. <laughs> I'll say this in defense of our podcast. Here on The Revisionists, we always come down on the side of Andrew Jackson being a piece of shit. Yes. That's 100% of the time. Uh, so... Someone someone stitched that into a sampler and we'll, we'll make it a part of our merch. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, we are doing uh, our Andrew Jackson episode next week, and we do have Steve Bannon lined up, so that might be a tough <laughs> episode. Um, regardless, uh, last time we talked about Virginia Hall, uh, a, an allied World War II spy, uh, notable for organizing a jailbreak of French resistance uh, officers, uh, among other things, um, uh, with guest Lauren Fates. Uh, she presented the real history. Brian, you presented an alternate history in which uh, her uh, real prosthetic leg, Cuthbert, had some kind of curse on it, uh, mm. I believe. Um, that was totally it. I could not remember. Uh, listeners of the podcast, let me remind you, we have a four-month-old. So right. anything uh, goes. Not Brian and I. Brian exclusively no, no, has a four-month-old. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. not me exclusively. Me and my wife. Yeah. Um, but we got there in the end. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, we don't have results for voting in as of this recording. Uh, as I look at a watch I am not wearing uh, that also doesn't tell days. So uh, we're doing great over here. But uh, that will be that'll be uh, we'll announce it at some time. <laughs> So then we'll just go back and say, uh, with the Coco Chanel episode, we went with the real history where she was just a regular-ass Nazi spy. Um, Okay, this week we are moving on to uh, a different time period. We're moving away from World War II, and we're going to talk about uh, Operation Snow White, um, for which Brian, I believe, is providing the actual history. Yes. Um, Oh. Before I get started, and so I don't forget, uh, I just want to say my sources for this are primarily the book Going Clear by Lawrence Wright uh, and uh, Wikipedia for background. Uh, Not going to sugarcoat that. I'm Um, glad that uh, Cody is on for this one because uh, definitely, um, though you usually do talk about movies, uh, if there's one person who who have to tiptoe around in Hollywood... It's the Scientologist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Probably the most theatrical option of the options you presented to me. I was drawn immediately to it by and, name and by subject. And yeah. I want to I want to give a special shout out because um, in contrast to uh, one of his famous films, popular Scientologist Tom Cruise, July 3rd. Happy birthday, Mr. Cruise. Oh. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be talking about uh, your religion today. Oh, he's a cancer just like me. How exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I just know I'm a cancer. <laughs> um, yeah, we are. I think this is the first time in like 130 some episodes that we're actually talking about Scientology as even, I don't think it's even come up in an alternate history at this point, which is a little surprising to me. Um, uh, spoiler alert, if our plans continue to go uh, as we expect, it will not be the last time. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, with that said, I'm not going to get too much into the actual, like, Scientology meat here. Mm-hmm. Um, the origins of the religion. Yeah, no. Um, if you want to call it that. Yeah, sure. Um, but so I also realized we 
we've been talking about Scientology now, and I the way I wrote this, I was going to use that as a reveal, like, 20% of the way in, uh, but whatever. I'll just bleep it, every mention no, so fine. far. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Honestly, they might legally make us bleep it at, oh. at some point. I had no idea what these I'm not people. not scared of the possibility of them listening. I'll, I'll put it that way. I've My fear never... is not 100% not here. Like, we usually... Like, we usually talk about people, and they're usually dead. Like, we've talked about, I think, two living people on this podcast, and only one of whom we slandered. So, this is a level of fear I've never had before preparing for preparing for a yeah. recording. They usually um, look for podcasts that have, like, 70 reviews on iTunes. <laughs> That's usually what they do. Well, listen, I have a great system to help you get rid of that fear and just go completely clear. So I'll talk to you about it after the recording. Don't worry about Perfect. it. Um, so on the night of May 28th, 1976, the night librarian at the U.S. courthouse in Washington, D.C. Uh, stopped two men who were leaving the library after using the copier. Uh, when the men revealed they had not signed in at the library's front desk. By the way, up, I will tell you up front. This story, not as much about library rules and procedures as I would have liked. But um, the night librarian banned them from returning uh, without the day librarian sign off. Um, So cut to two weeks later, the night librarian stopped the same two men as they were making their way in. uh, And when confronted, one of them produced a letter that looked like it was from the head librarian. um, And... They went off on their way, but the night librarian, who still suspected something was up, uh, called the FBI. Oh. Uh, yeah. I mean. I feel like nowadays you would business. assume. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like nowadays you would assume, like, oh, they're they're probably, like, jerking off or p- printing <laughs> off, like, uh, slash porn, maybe? Yeah, home. night librarian's a really cool-sounding job title, but. <laughs> it, was a great, it was a great image comic series for a little bit. But by the fourth trade paperback, you Night Librarian just lost its way. <laughs> I feel like Night Librarian, most of the job truly is going on the computers and, like, clearing the history so kids don't, like, yeah. type in one letter and it brings up, like, the worst site that exists on the internet. Oh, I, I know plenty of day librarians whose job involves stopping people from doing drugs or masturbating. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Night Librarian, I'm sure, is, like, the Baywatch Knights of Librarianship. Yeah, the show. Yeah. Um, So two FBI agents confronted the men, asked to see their IDs. Uh, The two men, Gerald Wolf and Michael Meisner, produced IRS ID cards. Um, Meisner claimed he was, like, recently resigned from the service, Um, said they were doing, like, legal research. And so after 20 minutes of questioning, uh, the FBI agents allowed the men to leave the building. And after they got away, Michael Meisner placed a telephone call to Mitchell Herman, uh, their supervisor, and the Southeast U.S. Secretary for the Information Bureau, the intelligence intelligence gathering arm of an outfit called the Guardian's Office, part of the Church of Scientology. There we go. Um, we got there in the end. Uh, it's not the end. This is a very long one. Um, <laughs> so, listeners, at this point, all those bleeps you heard earlier, they were about Scientology. That's so just to be clear. And the bleeps from here on out will be about various celebrity secrets. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> keep it in mind that Ron Perlman hunts people. So um, 
that, that's not true. You don't have to give me that look. Um, sorry, Jen looked very shocked for a second. Um, anyway. Only very bad people. Yeah, only bad. Yeah, he only hunts baddies. Are you fucking kidding me? It's Hellboy. He's not going to... What, what, is he going to hunt Nelson Mandela? No, it's going to be like Richard Spencer or some shit. <laughs> There's three types of people. There's Richard Spencer, Nelson Mandela, and Hellboy. <laughs> the three... That's my anagram. Tigers of listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Please, if you tag yourself Richard Spencer, just stop <laughs> listening to this podcast it's, it's and doing things like that, that bring It's like that triangle joy. where you take your kids to McDonald's, you say, no, we have food at home, or you go there, order one black coffee, and leave. Those are the three. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Guardian's office. And which... by the way, we're talking about exclusively Ron Perlman Hellboy. We're not talking about the fucking Stranger Things guy. Oh, yeah. No, Hellboy. no, 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 no. He's not welcome on this podcast. (laughs) Um, The Guardian's office, which is today known as the Office of Special Affairs, was established in 1966 by Scientology, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard, as I keep referring to him in my head, um, with the uh, stated goal of managing the church's legal affairs, public relations, and less overtly, its investigations into its enemies. Um, basically, with, without getting into too much detail, each um, guardian's office was divided into five bureaus, including the information bureau. And the ostensible head of the guardian's office uh, worldwide was Mary Sue Hubbard, um, uh, Elrond's uh, Elrond's wife. Her title was Commodore Staff Guardian, um, which is they they have fucking wild ass job titles in Scientology. It sounds like they really smoothed out the name, though, if it's just what the special internal affairs office, like you said now. Office of Special Affairs. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. yeah, They they took some of the flavor out of it. (laughs) I feel like Elrond. Uh, which we may talk about in a later date, had like the most wild exaggeration and constantly evolving titles for himself. Mm-hmm. I know Commodore was one of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, Commodore was one of them because he more or less lived on his yacht. Sure. Yeah. Apollo. Once <laughs> once he got into some serious shit, he was like, international waters, baby. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, well, Hubbard felt that like since the late 60s, there had been a trend of countries that were once open to Scientology, shutting him out, um, and crucially not allowing him to dock his yacht, um, which sounds like it would be a euphemism, but is not. <laughs> um, Hubbard believed that there was an organization in like governments and the media and the mental health community that he called Smirsh, uh, S-M-E-R-S-H, which is... Taken from James Bond novels. Uh, well, I'll say this. It is indeed in the novels. Smirsh is what Spectre is in the movies. But crucially, Smirsh was a real thing in World War II. It was an actual oh, okay. Russian spy agency in World War II. Um, but yeah, once the movies adapted it, they, they started calling it Spectre instead. But in the novels, it was it was called Smirsh. And it was a, a real Russian spy agency. Okay. The, the, everything I read seemed to suggest that 
Hubbard used it because of the James Bond novels and not because oh, it was a real probably, thing. Probably, yeah. Which does not surprise me in the least. I think it was discontinued after World War II. So by the time he was mm-hmm. around, I don't think Smirsch existed anymore. Yeah. Also, Smirsch was discontinued after World War II does make it sound like a soda that had some radium in it or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was the, what was that, Josta of its time. <laughs> um, so he was convinced that Smirsch was blocking the progress of Scientology. Uh, especially, like, at the behest of the American and British governments. Um, And so, according to Lawrence Wright's book, one day L. Ron Hubbard uh, asked an aide what the names of Snow White's seven dwarfs was, uh, and the aide had to go to a library to look it up, which I found fucking amazing. (laughs) Again, this is not when you have the internet, but... True. I I I could probably name name five. I'll bet I could name five, but I don't know if I could name all seven. I think I I could pick up the other two, maybe. I can. I used to work at Walt Disney World. I can absolutely name all seven. <laughs> I was about to be ashamed about it, but no, no, no. I don't need to see a night librarian to help me out with this. I got this. <laughs> Where were you when Elrond needed you, Cody? Yeah. <laughs> I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> um. So on. In 1973, on uh, 420, actually, um, L. L. Ron Hubbard wrote a secret order for the creation of what he called Operation Snow White, which would find information to discredit governments, organizations, and individuals, um, and even, like, use that information to serve as the basis of lawsuits. Um, And the way it would do that would be to place Scientologists' moles Uh, as agents in like the government and private organizations and NGOs, all sorts of things. Um, Publicly, when things came out later, uh, because spoiler alert, things came out later, we know about this now. um, They, uh, L. Ron Hubbard always said that they were dedicated to removing false reports. Not that they weren't spying, but that they were just taking out the bad stuff. Um, so over the next few years, the operation uh, got so big that they placed around 5,000 agents in 136 different government agencies around the world. Um, Which I believe to this date is the biggest infiltration of the U.S. government by spies mm-hmm. ever by anybody. Like, yep. Forget the USSR. Scientology did better. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also Operation Snow White... Uh, the different areas had different code names. So uh, Project Sleepy was Austria. Uh, Project Happy was Denmark. You have Bashful, Belgium. Dopey, Italy. Um, Grumpy was Germany. Um, oh, that's you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which also, Project Grumpy um, falsely accused German officials hostile of Scientology of being guilty of genocide. Um I don't know in what context. uh... (laughs) Um, So there are also like projects Mirror, Apple, Reflection. Uh, The projects in the UK were Witch and Stepmother. But the largest was Project Hunter, uh, which focused on the US. And uh, Scientologist agents penetrated the IRS, Department of Justice, the Treasury, Department of Labor, Federal Trade Commission, DEA, 
um, a bunch of foreign embassies, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the Better Business that, Bureau. That one must have been a big. I know that uh, L. Ron Hubbard, uh, his opinion of psychiatry was not high. So no. I imagine the Psychiatric Association was probably high in his target list. Because psychiatrists would probably tell people who are in Scientology that, like, hey, you're kind of in a cult here. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, that's that's my not very assertive psychiatrist. <laughs> um, they also infiltrated that, newspapers. That like, was one of the worst SNL characters of the 70s, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But oddly, one of the best today. Yeah. Um, it's weird. Um they also infiltrated newspapers, even like the Washington Post, but also like f- the f- newspapers in Florida where Scientology was based. Um, the Clearwater Sun, Tampa, what's now the Tampa Bay Times. Um, so Wolf and Meisner, who we mentioned earlier, were probably some of the first infiltrators. Uh, they gained employment as typists at the IRS, and they basically monitored files on tax-exempt organizations and made illegal photocopies. This was during L. Ron Hubbard's push to have Scientology declared a tax-exempt religion. Um, and so very like very early on, they kind of got a lucky break where one agent found out that there was an IRS meeting coming up to discuss Scientology's bid to become tax-exempt. Uh, and so they notified the Guardian's office and they sent in like one of their higher-ranking officers, a man named Mitchell Herman, to bug the conference room. Uh, and then they broke back in afterward and sent the tape to uh, Los Angeles. Um, but like most of the time, the standard procedure was to break into offices, photocopy whatever relevant documents, uh, and then forward those up through the Scientology command structure all the way up to Mary Sue Hubbard and presumably Elron also. Um, Mary Sue Hubbard even issued an order that the Guardian's office, quote, use any method at our disposal to win the battle and gain our nonprofit tax status, uh, which it, it sort of loses steam once you get to the phrase nonprofit tax status. Um, Meisner was instructed to steal IRS stationery to forge letters from a made up disgruntled IRS agent. Uh, who they would use that as cover to like send out stolen information to make the IRS look bad. Um, and in July, Wolf was instructed by Meisner, who was himself ordered to monitor the office of a man named Charles Zeraven, Zeraven, um, one of them, uh, who was an IRS lawyer who was fighting a court battle against Scientology because they had put in a Freedom of Information Act request. Um, and Wolf found out that Zeraven was compiling an index of every single document the U.S. government had related to Scientology, uh, including the documents, like a summary of its contents and its specific physical location in the files of the U.S. government. <laughs> um, so... Wolf revealed that information to Scientology. They got that binder anyway through, like, discovery in court. Um, but then... But then That's Wolf, how it works, yeah. yeah. If they're compiling a, a case against you, they have to reveal it, yeah. Um, but we could do it the illegal way. Mm, well, they still did, because Wolf... 
they like made an illegal photocopy of it and wolf got it um and he basically used that as a map to find all the documents and photocopy all of them um at one point wolf miser truly like that scene i think it's in my cousin Vinny, where Vinny doesn't know about the process of discovery yeah. like he tries to wine and dine the enemy lawyer to get the uh, enemy lawyer the enemy lawyer it's <laughs> <laughs> my tom clancy novel i'm ghostwriting um but the you know the prosecution lawyer to get like this information before he realizes that discovery is a thing uh anyways my cousin Vinny, it's fun it's, it's a good movie yeah, i like yeah. that movie I'll watch it when it's on, which is a curse because it's on four times a day. Um, but anyway, um, at one point, Wolf Meisner and another man spent four hours in a copy room just making copies of documents and left with a 12-inch thick stack of papers, which, by my math, is about is a foot. Th- 3,000 <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, about now, how many of those of hours uh, were spent photocopying each other's butts? Was that? Oh, you gotta you feel that like they took a break. Okay, they took like a, a scrot copy break, basically. I think. The, I think <laughs> what you. I think what they recommend in terms of getting the most efficacy out of your workers is forty-five minutes scanning mm-hmm. documents and fifteen minutes scanning butts, and then okay. back to forty. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best workflow. Well, it's like Thanks that unions. old socialist slogan: eight hours for. Sl- Eight hours for sleep, eight hours for work, eight hours for sitting on a copy or copying my anus and genitals. Uh, that was unpleasant to say. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you didn't have to say anus and genitals. You could have said I did not. D- dick and butt. Yeah. Uh, which, somehow, better. Um, it was also around this point that Wolf and Meisner broke into an office and made fake IDs uh, to gain access to the federal courthouse in D.C., and presumably also party with their friends on the weekend. Um, On the evening of April 14th, uh, 1976, Meisner and Wolf were trying to pick the lock to an office in the uh, IRS Office of uh, International Operations when a cleaning woman noticed them and called security. Um, And the security guard was convinced by their fake IDs, uh, and just opened the office door and let them in. Uh, and while they were there, they didn't find a copier, um, so they just took as many files as they can carry to another building and just copied them there and carried them all back. Um, these are not good spies, but they're somehow even worse spy catchers. Basically, that's the theme of a lot of the early part of this. Um, so... In May, they broke into the courthouse and made – they stole the assistant U.S. attorney's keys off his desk, uh, who is oh, – what was his name? His name was Doddle, Dadell, something like that. <laughs> um, classic Dadell, leaving your keys on your desk and getting them stolen by Scientologists. Yeah. Um, agent Doddle is like the comic relief agent in like a Pixar movie or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so – they stole his keys and made a copy and then broke into his office and returned the keys. Um, so they repeated that caper basically a week later. Um, well, no, sorry. I skipped a thing. Uh, May 21st, they successfully broke in, made copies of a bunch of the documents in his office, repeated that caper a week later. That's the caper that got repeated. 
uh, and that's when they were first caught by the night librarian, um, who then presumably went on Cinemax to counsel couples about their sex lives uh, with various cutscenes. Um, so after their interrogation, Meisner and Wolf flew to Los Angeles uh, to the Scientology sort of headquarters there and were given cover stories by the Guardian's office. The famous um, large blue building mm-hmm. uh, there in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Yeah. Nothing like the weirdly modern Scientology church in Denver, um, which... Uh, the one in Chicago is truly embarrassingly shoddy. Oh, she's just a little storefront. <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly. Is. Really? Not much to see. Yeah. Like strip mall storefront or like... Pretty much, yeah. I think it might say... Yeah, it's like says Scientology Dianetics. It looks like a pawn shop almost. Is it like next to a hot dog shop or? Uh, it's like hot across dog from joint. a diner, I believe. Yeah, nice. there's. I went to a bar that was like across the street from it one time. The, the one in Denver is like very near Coors Field. Um, my my wife um, uh, used to attend meetings of the Independent Publishers Association there. Uh, because one of the members was a Scientologist, and Scientology was like, hey, why don't you bring non-Scientologists to our, our cult place? Uh, maybe we'll catch one. Uh, um, additional, like, there's, um, there's a very fancy building in Los Angeles that is, aside from that blue giant Scientology center, the Scientology Celebrity Center, which is a very fancy place. They mm-hmm. often have big parties. It's across the street from, and I am, uh, like, it's not, it's, I think it's the second city there or like the UCB. I think it's the UCB theater there, um, which is indeed, if you've ever heard the Dead Authors podcast where Andy Daly plays L. Ron Hubbard, which is one of the best podcasts I've ever heard, um, they filmed it directly across from the Scientology Celebrity Center there in LA at one of the most prominent comedy clubs in the city. That's amazing. Um, so, uh, Wolf was arrested at the end of June. Um, and at that point, Mary Sue Hubbard began discussing ways to destroy evidence linking Wolf and Meisner to Scientology. Um, did not really get into too much detail as to what that evidence was or how you would destroy it and how many murders it would take. Um, but didn't work because he he was a at this point a known Scientologist as was literally everyone else involved um, so Wolf's arrested and Meisner is getting increasingly upset uh, and he started talking about wanting to turn himself in so uh, Scientology the church he belonged to uh, to help uh, put him under armed guard um, it, he escaped eventually, but was, like, convinced to return the next day um, because cult. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, uh, Wolf ended up pleading guilty, uh, but ended up lying to the grand jury uh, and, like, giving them the cover story the Guardian's office came up with. Uh, Meisner, meanwhile, escaped again and this time contacted the FBI. Uh, he eventually pled guilty and cooperated, um, which meant that the FBI launched raids on Scientology locations in Los Angeles, Hollywood, and Washington, D.C. Uh, the L.A. raid at, 
at least at that point, I don't know if it's still the case, uh, was the largest raid in FBI history involving uh, 156 agents. Uh, it took 21 hours, and they filled a 16-ton truck with stolen documents that they recovered, along with other evidence. Um, the raids also turned up other just weird shit. Um, they turned up evidence of what was called Operation Freakout, which was designed to drive author uh, Paulette Cooper mad, basically. Uh, she had written a book critical of Scientology. Um, basically, they framed her for making bomb threats against the Church of Scientology because, again, they stole stationery from her office and made it just, like, wrote letters using her name. They got her <laughs> fingerprints also. Um, and so, like, she basically had a massive nervous breakdown trying to prove her innocence and eventually, like, talked her therapist and the prosecutor into giving her sodium pentothal, um, which is, like, colloquially known as, like, truth serum. Um, and of that basically cleared her name, at least with the prosecutor's office. Um, one of the raids um, was on the old Cedars of Lebanon Hospital building in Los Angeles, uh, which had at that time recently been purchased by Scientology. And in the basement uh, of that old hospital where there were no lights, uh, FBI agents found a maze of cubicles and each one had six people in it um, dressed in prison jumpsuits and wearing dirty rags, um, which were made into armbands um, to signify that they were part of what was called Rehabilitation Project Force, um, which was created to punish Scientologists who were part of what was called Sea Org, which is sort of like the the really hardcore Scientologists, uh, like who were underperforming or were thought to have subversive thoughts about L. Ron Hubbard. Or, yeah, any, uh, at this time... Any infraction that L. Ron Hubbard just made up in his mind at any yeah. given moment, basically. Yeah, they became part of Rehabilitation Project Force, um, which I saw something su suggesting that there was, like, like forced labor involved, uh, which would not surprise me. Um, there were apparently also, like, people on the Apollo, uh, Hubbard's yacht, who, like, wandered below decks, found people, like in a very similar condition. Um, so the FBI agents walk in there and see this. Um, there were, oh gosh, did I write? There are about like, I think 120 people in there altogether. Um, and the FBI agents get down there and one of the Sea Org members from upstairs comes down and starts yelling at them that they were exceeding the bounds of their warrants. And uh, this is all according to Lawrence Wright. Um, the FBI agents were like, well, they're not asking us for help. So they left. Mm. Um, and we don't know what happened after that. Well, um, so eventually... Um, 11 Scientologists were indicted um, for uh, Operation Snow White. Uh, Mary Sue Hubbard uh, got the harshest sentence. 
of them, which was five years. Um, and the involved Scientologists um, later on um, were branded uh, what's called uh, suppre- they were called suppressive persons, uh, suppressive people, which is uh, sort of at its most benign a designation that like requires Scientologists to cut off all communication with you. Enemies uh, of the church, and, basically. Yeah. Um, it can get like worse Very than that. To be, yeah. yeah. But like, that's sort of the, the basic level of it. It's the thing we're all going to be called after this episode airs. Yeah, sure. no, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, if I don't have to talk to another Scientologist, that'd be great. Because um, I know I've talked to at least one briefly. Uh, because he handed me a flyer to come to the Scientology Center across from Coors Field uh, for just a fun sesh. Um, An e-meter reading, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, check out what's going on with my Thetans. Um, so Scientology eventually received tax-exempt status in 1993 uh, after the organization basically effectively insulated itself from operation snow white they basically said it was um after they gave the line about like people trying to they were trying to remove like false i think and i think there are rumors that there were some some degree of blackmail from like information retrieved during their various infiltrations of the u.s government that compelled the u.s to possibly give them this status uh so they wouldn't leak things Exactly. Um, it also helped that 1993 was like, I think, seven years after L. Ron Hubbard died. Um, and they they sort of, the, the government basically was like, well, we don't have to give this to Hubbard himself. And that sort of makes it more palatable, I guess. <laughs> Instead, we give it to David Miscavige, uh, who is worse than L. Ron Hubbard, probably. <laughs> That uh, is a, a bold statement, but possible. I mean... <laughs> They're both I, bad. <laughs> he is more competent, I think, than L. Ron Hubbard. Maybe yeah. it's the sort of thing of, like... Like, oh, fuck, what's his fucking name? Donald Trump and the fucking... People who are smarter than Donald Trump, but still Nazis. Um, sure. Anyway, uh, and that's the true story of Operation Snow White. All right. Well, that, to be frank, makes Scientology sound really bad. Hmm. So we'll see. Cody, are you going to be able to rehabilitate? I'm just making bold assumptions that like your entire thing is going to be like, actually, no. Cody, do you have an alternate version of what went down uh, for, uh, for Operation Snow White? That was a lovely story. I don't, you know, the funny thing is, I don't know why we're all kind of getting our histories mixed up here. I I remember hearing this story out on my mother's knee at a young age from a large storybook, mm-hmm. Gold Embossed, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so, um, if I may uh, regale you all with the tale of uh, it is Operation worth noting Snow White. Cody's mother is, um, is... Is of course uh, uh, Mary Sue herself, <laughs> the original Mary Sue. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the Mary Sue dot com actually owned by Mary Sue. <laughs> uh, 
All Old right, Mother so, Hubbard, um, you know, what do you want? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay, we could do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, yes, here's the story of Operation Snow White, if you may. Um, mm-hmm. Once upon a time in the magical kingdom of Washington, D.C., there lived a fair maiden <laughs> by the name of Princess IRS. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately for Princess IRS, the ruler of the land uh, was the wicked queen, Mary Sue Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Now, Mary Sue Hubbard, uh, she had some powers, uh, and one of them was in the form of a magic e-reader. And every morning... <laughs> not, just, not like a regular e-reader. No, 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 no. Not your typical e-reader. Not the ones that we all have in our kitchen. Mm-hmm. This is a magic one. And every morning, she would ask it, magic e-meter on the wall, who's the clearest of them all? <laughs> and every day, the e-meter would say, you are Queen Mary Sue. Now, one day she asked this e-reader her uh, daily question, and uh, it actually uh, just kind of said, basically, listen, Princess IRS, she's not, uh, she's got some information on you that you're probably going to want to do something about. So, in order to uh, maintain her status as the clearest in all the land, uh, Queen Mary Sue, uh, as retaliation, used a uh, magic thetan potion. (laughs) To uh, turn two of her henchmen into bureaucrats. I see. <laughs> yes. Can I, can I ask a question about the magic e-reader real quick? Oh, absolutely. Yes, please. Please. Ask. When it said you are the clearest of them all, did it also mm-hmm. elaborate, don't tell Elron or you will be disappeared? <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was drowned out by her gleeful cackling. So she never oh, quite okay, got the memo enough. on that part. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Easy mistake. So, uh, Princess IRS saw the bureaucrats coming and uh, fled into the woods of the uh, DC Beltway. And eventually, she found a uh, clearing in the woods, and in that clearing was a celebrity center, oh. um, peopled by seven merry actors by the names of Travolti, Ailey, <laughs> Cartwrighty, Rabisi, Luisi, Masi, and the smallest of them all, Cruzy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> We're going to ignore them because I couldn't think of anything else for them to do for the rest of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, the bureaucrats, though, did catch up to Princess IRS, and they were able to subdue her with a poisoned Freedom of Information Act. Wait, which one's Cartwrighty? Um, The one who's the voice of Bart Simpson. Nancy Cartwright. Nancy Cartwright? Sorry to say it, yeah. Oh, boo. I know. Okay. It's one of those things when you Google somebody and you would see Scientology pop up in the autofill and you're like, oh, shit. Oh, damn. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Beck. <laughs> Beck, I actually, not to, you know, sidebar from this uh, the story we all already know by heart from our childhood, but Beck, I could not actually find defining evidence on his being a Scientologist. He's uh, okay. recently said, like, no, I'm not one. But I always thought of him as one, so. Yeah, I always, I guess that was, like, the rumor when we were in school and sure. I don't know why in school our rumors centered around whether Beck was a Scientologist <laughs> it's the talk we of every popular. recess yeah. <laughs> yeah fifth grade that was all everybody talked about uh, every 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 recess right well that was part of the no Beck left behind act which we were all coming up under that, you know, so that's just the way it goes um, so we're nearing the end of our fairy tale, uh, gentle listeners. So upon the defeat of Princess IRS, Queen Mary Sue then declared, and now I'll be the la- least taxed in all the land. <laughs> However, there was a caveat to the spell that Princess IRS found herself under. 
Uh, only the swift kiss of a gavel to a judge's bench could break the spell. Mm-hmm. But also a plea deal would do just fine. So <laughs> the bureaucrats and Queen Hubbard were all sent to jail and Princess IRS and the justice system lived happily ever after. The end. Yay. Brian, as a new father, I'm surprised you haven't, you know, delved into this story with your child. Not to criticize your parenting, but... No, that that's fair. I am a failure as a parent for now. Oh. For yeah. <laughs> Admitting it is the first step. <laughs> oh, God. Um, also, before I forget, uh, Jen did hand me a note with a recommendation for a book called The Unbreakable Miss Lovely, which is about Paulette Cooper. Um and it's very, very good. And about, you know, the time Scientology tried to make her crazy. Sure. Um, okay, now the baby's asleep. Again. Okay. <laughs> but, Cody, thank you. Of course. Uh, I believe uh, before we get to final judgments, uh, this is the segment of the podcast we dedicate towards uh, plugs. Um uh, as always, we will uh, start with our guest, uh, Cody, uh, very graciously here the day after his 30th birthday. So thank yes. you for making time, uh, <laughs> you know, for for this uh, immediately following your birthday weekend. But I believe if you want to talk about it, uh, you're the co-host of the um, the AV Club noted podcast Halloweeners. Right, which you, uh, we didn't know this until you told us, Zach, like months yeah. after we had gotten a write-up. We were like, what? So, yes, <laughs> yeah. we, <laughs> I'm the co-host of, uh, it's called Halloweeners, a horror movie podcast, which my friend Kira and I do. We are just two idiots who babble into a microphone uh, about horror movies, one movie per episode. There's no set schedule. It's kind of just whenever the muse overtakes us to discuss a movie, we uh, hop on the mic and chat about it. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and you can find that uh, wherever podcasts are available. Oh, absolutely th- everywhere. Yep. Yeah, I think the most recent episode is about uh, the conclusion of your Scream quadrilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until the new one comes out. Yes, it's on Until Scream Four. Yeah, yeah. I'm and very uh, excited. I me, me too. I'm I'm tentatively excited, but that's you know another story. Yeah, uh, yeah we're it's on Twitter, the ready and Instagram or not, people, at uh, think, you know. yeah, which it gives me hope. But mm-hmm. again, I, I have. I have an hour-long podcast about that. Sure, you yeah. Um, yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Halloweeners Pod, and uh, my own personal Twitter is at CodyMonster91. What did you think of the Halloween Kills trailer also? Oh, listen, I I wasn't a huge fan of the last one, but I mean, like, I'm going to see it. Like, yeah. I'll be there opening night. I there's, mean, no, there's no worry of that. Personally, like... I people like, being really into it's, it. I'm just like, it's, it's fine. But, like, this is also within the same month that one Last Night in Soho trailer came out and mm. two um, The Candyman second trailer came out. And it's like, mm. if you're going to be excited for some horror movies, I think those right. are going to be the, the ones you, you, you should be looking forward to. Yeah, yeah exactly. they're, they're all getting my 11 to $18 and so no worries sure. there. <laughs> but I have tears of excitement. It's true. Yeah, exactly. Um. Zach, you co-host Movie Trap. That's true. Uh, I co-host the Movie Trap with... uh, It's a revival of a podcast from 10 years ago that I did when I was, like, 20 um, with my friends uh, from college. COVID and one of its many miracles made us revive it out of boredom. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, yeah, it's basically a, the- a podcast where each of us challenges the other to a, a theme. Each of us picks a movie within that theme, be it isolation or actors in dual roles or um, letting our significant others pick the movie for that round, whatever it is. It could be anything. And then at the end, we vote on who had the best pick for that particular round. The winner gets to pick the next round. And that's the gist of it. So if, you, uh, if you're if you interested in this, uh, a random collection of, of movie talks uh, are also available for you there. Um, as for me, listeners, uh, stand-up comedy is sort of returning. I have not returned to it because I have a, a child and actual responsibilities instead of trying to come up with five different ways to make the same joke about my butt every night. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess I'll plug, um, we cycle again, W E E cycle, um, dot org, which gets much needed baby supplies to uh families uh unhoused families families in need um because uh if you've ever had a child you know that shit's expensive um and they guys they poop so much like there's so much poop (laughs) it's 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 a lot and it's loud and just get get people supplies they need to deal with to deal with that um, that's what I have to plug. <laughs> sure. Uh, if you're so interested in uh, contributing to this podcast for free, a written review on uh, on iTunes is is uh, very helpful. And you can write whatever the fuck you want. You can make fun of us. Uh, you can you can mock us freely. Our appearance, the way we speak, the things we care about. We don't care. We have no self integrity. But if you leave it five stars, go ahead. Okay. Maybe maybe not my appearance. I'm kind of sensitive about that right now. Because <laughs> um, I have I went to the doctor today and weighed myself for the first time in a while. Um, not so, Brian's appearance. My appearance still on the table. You know what? Face stuff, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll say that. Um, and then if you also, if you have cash to burn, if you're trying to launder money, we have a Patreon page. Um, which patreon.com slash the revisionist um, but really uh, leaving a review or writing us a letter via the contact form on our website revisionistpodcast.com and uh, you know that we got we got Twitter and Instagram too um, but yeah that brings us to yeah uh, judgment. final judgment um, yeah uh, Operation Snow White uh, I'm glad we did this one I We've done a lot of Soviet Union and World War II spying in this spying segment, and I'm glad we got something that was a little, a little bit of a different taste, um, and we got to uh, flirt with openly mocking uh, Scientology, um, a dangerous proposition at the best of times. Mm. Um, but uh, I do have to say, uh, as interesting as I do find this gen, this real story, like it's fascinating the degree to which they infiltrated the U.S. government. Um, I thought that, uh, the, uh, the framing device that Cody came up with for it being just a classical mother goose fairy tale was very charming and a very clever way to write the alternate mm-hmm. history. Uh, I think I am going to toss my personal vote towards the alternate this time. Of course, that leaves us up to the listener to, to vote on whichever they find, uh, more appealing. 
That's right. And uh, voting, as you hear this, is now open on Patreon. And then check out our Instagram feed the Wednesday, Wednesday the 14th of July, Bastille Day. Uh, happy Bastille Day, everyone. Oh, um, so celebrate by storming a French armory and then voting on our Instagram poll. <laughs> Uh, or not in that order, um, if you want, and we'll have the results for our next episode. I was doing pretty well until the heat really kind of started sinking in about like 60% of the way through my actual history today. Um, but, um, yeah, Cody, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm again. I it's amazing that somebody wanted me to talk about something that wasn't just a, a flickering light coming from a projector. So I'm, <laughs> I'm honored to be expanding my podcasting purview with you boys. Yeah, of course. We're glad. We're glad to have you and break the monotony of talking about movies all the time. <laughs> you yeah. run out of movies at one point. You know, I'm, my goal is to see them all and I'm, I feel like I'm like this close. So, you and know. As I said at the beginning... There's just I only tr- God forgives left on this list. <laughs> and as I said at the beginning, I think truly the value of this podcast is like on a good episode, you're like that could be a good movie someday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think Operation Snow White, there's a movie in those bones somewhere. Yeah. I could see that. Um I could see Judy Greer as Mary Sue Hubbard, maybe. Maybe not. The, I guess Scientology has that death grip on Hollywood, so this might yeah, be a tough true. sell. Sure. Might be an indie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I could see a... I actually don't know what the spies look like, so I'm just going to say Ryan Gosling, because I'm thinking of Only God Forgives. And um, let's go with... Ezra Miller. Timothy Chalamet, because he's got to be in everything go. contractually. Sure. I just call playing the night librarian. That's my only request. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah, the night librarian's either going to be like, it's going to be Jack Black, actually. That's got to be like, that's going to be like the comic relief role of the movie. Or like the fucking security guard who opens yeah. the door. Mm-hmm. Um, got it. So anyway, before we cast this whole fucking movie. <laughs> um, for everyone here at The Revisionists, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time. Have a good time. Yeah. Tragically, Philip Seymour Hoffman, no longer available to semi-reprise mm. his role as L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> My God. July 3rd, 1890. Idaho is admitted as the 43rd state, mainly so Montana has someone to talk to. Eh, Okay, not even going to retake that. July 3rd, 1775. Thomas Jefferson finishes up his declaration of continued dependence before sending it off to the editor. July 3rd, 1775. George Washington takes command of the Continental Army in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and to celebrate takes them all next door to Duncan. July 3rd, 1844, the last pair of great ox is strangled by two guys working for a merchant, but those birds probably felt better knowing they were on the right side of history. July 3rd, 1754, in the French and Indian War, George Washington surrenders Fort Necessity to the French, inspiring the classic joke among the French that the U.S. are, quote, surrender monkeys. July 3rd, 1884, the Dow Jones publishes the first stock average, four. 
July 3rd, 1913, at a 50-year reenactment of Pickett's charge at the Battle of Gettysburg, former Confederate soldiers, upon reaching the Confederate high watermark, find former Union soldiers with hands extended in friendship. People notably not extending their hands in friendship? Former slaves! <laughs>